Hello and welcome to The Plotting Shed. You're listening to Rachel McCartney, founder of plantplots.com and author of the book I Want to Like My Garden. Each week, The Plotting Shed discusses different aspects of garden design, but we focus on things that other books don't really talk about. I hope you enjoy this podcast and do please hit the subscribe now button so you don't miss another episode. What is it about lawns? What is it about a lawn that seems to be this part of our gardening culture that the world would end without a lawn? Hi. You're listening to The Plotting Shed and me, Rachel McCartain. Welcome back. As you can probably tell, this week I am challenging your concept of lawns. What is it about a lawn that makes us feel we've all got to have one? And why are lawns so important? How big should a lawn be? How small should a lawn be? Should we use fake grass? What are we going to do with lawns? Do they have a purpose? Why are they in our gardens in the first place? You know, when I look at trying to design gardens, and this is going to sound terribly sexist, and I apologise if it if it does, the only people who really impress upon me how important a lawn is are the guys. Most women don't really find lawns as fundamentally important. And I was one thinking, what is it about the lawn that is more of a male construct? You know, I need to have some grass. I want to have a green space. And then you talk about mowing. Oh, I love mowing. Or I hate mowing. Oh, it's got to be straight. It's got to be neat. It's got to be tidy. Got to be this. Got to be that. And I wanted to kind of get behind the psyche of lawns and why they seem to have sat in our horticultural folklore and have this level of importance that that every garden pretty much that you see has a lawn at the centerpiece. Even the smallest, tiniest space in a front garden might have a lawn that's about a metre wide by a metre, but somebody's put some grass there. So do we need them and and why have we got them and how big should they be and are there alternatives? I might challenge a few of your thought processes, but this is what I'm going to talk about. Lawns are really important. They have a really, really valuable role to play in garden design. And for a number of reasons, one of the first reasons is that green is a colour that we all find naturally relaxing. It's not unsurprising because that's the colour of nature. That's the colour that is the non-human, industrialised, urbanised space. So we associate the colour green with the fact that we're bringing the natural world towards us. And what's better than having a beautiful, large expanse of green lawn? But also it demonstrates in our garden how much space we have to grow a lawn. You know, if we've got a great big lawn, my goodness, haven't we got a great big garden? Therefore, is that indicative of my wealth or success because I've got all of this space? And we also use lawns to 
demonstrate our horticultural knowledge, prowess, skill, ability, and not show off, but demonstrate to the wider neighbourhood that we are in control and good eggs. Because if you think about how we've been culturally assimilated over one or two hundred years of imagery and advertising, the state of your lawn is very closely aligned to your standing in society. So if you had this beautifully immaculate, flat, weed-free, green swathe, like you see in the quadrangles at Oxford University or in front of Buckingham Palace or you know, the Buckingham Palace Gardens or in these, nation these national trust gardens, you're doing a good job. It's beautifully green, it's uniform, everything is a good height, grass is not a weed. You go to Augusta National Golf Course, the, the greens there and the fairways, there's not a blade out of, out of alignment. It's demonstrating our horticultural skill in maintaining this living carpet in a beautiful way. And in fact, it goes right back to 1830, where there was this guy called Edwin Beard Budding, and I read about this recently in an RHS article, who invented and patented the lawnmower. So now we didn't need to have sheep or scythes to keep our grass relatively short. We could have this mechanical machine that cut grass to a uniform height really easily. And everyone took that on board, thought, wow, we've got this lovely green space. And then during the turn of the century and all adverts, and especially since the World War II, with the destruction and devastation that that caused, having these beautifully manicured lawns was a really positive way of re-establishing our towns and our cities and making them look beautiful, having had the destruction. So we've got a really, really deep-seated psychological link to what your lawn looks like and how you think you might be viewed by your neighbours, by the world at large. You've got all of this panoply of advertisements for companies who are selling fertilizers and weed feeders and, and lawn moss killers and all of these things, all of which to try and encourage you to maintain a perfect green swathe of lawn. And therefore, because we've got so much imagery about the lawn, the lawn must therefore be the most important part of the garden. It's got to be the biggest feature. It's the thing that we sit in the centre of every garden saying, look, there it is. That's my lawn. But as a designer, I'm kind of taking a different approach now and I'm thinking, how important is the lawn to the person who owns the garden? What's that lawn used for? Is it used for anything? Do people think it's being used, but in reality, it's not used at all? It might just be that you walk past it or you walk over it. You don't actually sit on it because that might spoil the grass. It then becomes a, a, a shape and a space and a feature that requires 
a disproportionate amount of time and effort to keep it looking neat and green and weed free and mown and raked and preened and pampered. Is it really necessary? And most people, when I say to them about, you know, how big do you want your lawn to be? And, and do you need to have a lawn? The answer is always yes. Can you make it as big as possible? I want the space. So my next question then is the space for what? And that's where quite often people get thrown because they have this image and, and thought in their head that the children will be running around the garden and playing football and, and playing games like you see in the adverts with people on beautiful green lawns or that we see in films that, that people are out there playing on the grass. But in reality, what do we do? We plonk children's play equipment on the lawn. We put trampolines on the lawn. In small gardens where we've got smaller spaces, do they really run around the lawn? My, I suppose my lawn was an oval shape when the kids were, 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 were in there. And yes, they did. They ran around, they kicked footballs, they boomed up and down on it. But only for a very short period of time. And it got me thinking, I've got all of this space, I've got all of this greenery that I'm having to fertilise and weed kill and keep the moss out of so the children can play. But is that a useful investment of time and money and effort? So in your garden and your design of your space, ask yourself a couple of questions. What makes you sit on the lawn? Do you actually use it? Or is it just a visually open space? If you have children, how much do they really use that space? And if there's footballs in the garden and this sort of thing, do I really want them kicking footballs properly? Am I better not to just say, right, let's not have footballs and, and use the lawn for something else? Then we have a paradox with regard to the lawn, because whenever we see adverts for perfume or some nice lifestyle thing, people are not running across a manicured green swathe of grass that's perfect. They're usually running through flower-filled meadows, aren't they? So what, what the advertisers are saying is if you want to have joy and happiness. We have flowers that we run through and we lie in the grass surrounded by daisies and daydream looking up at the stars. And then on the flip side, the advertisers tell us that our lawn has to be perfect, well-mown, well-fertilised, no moss in it whatsoever. God forbid you see a dandelion or a daisy. Those things are not acceptable. So it's no wonder that so many people are, are confused by lawns and what lawns should be. So that begs the question, how big should a lawn be and what should the lawn be used for? Horticulture is moving away from perfection right now. It's understood uh, that our gardens are a small encapsulated part of the natural world. And maybe we need to rethink lawns as well. If you evaluate the space that you have and you've got a big lawn and like a lot of people, plants around the edge and then you have your patio, do you sit in the middle of the grass? And if you don't sit in the middle of the grass, what's preventing you from doing it? And quite possibly it's 
because you don't feel as comfortable sitting in the middle of an open space. You feel more comfortable sitting with the fence behind you or tucked into a corner. That open space, you're a little bit more exposed and maybe we don't use it for that. So really evaluate what you use your lawn for. Now, it could be that when you sit in the garden, you enjoy being surrounded by flowers, but when you sit on the grass, there's nothing near you. We're coming into Nomo May, which is uh, Royal Horticultural Society's trend that they're trying to get everyone to do, to, to allow the grass to just be left unmown for the month of May. Well, I did Nomo May last year, and I'm still on Nomo May because I decided not to mow the grass at all. I'm doing it a bit as a bit of an experiment for some of you who've listened to my previous podcasts will know. And I have mown uh, a path around in a sort of a, an infinity shape. So because it's easier to mow, I can start and do almost like a figure of eight. So I've got three or four unmown sections of grass that now haven't had any mowing since last year. Well, for 12 months, over 12 months. I'm re-evaluating how the lawn is benefiting me. At my time of life, my children have grown up and left home. So this wouldn't work for everybody, but it still might work if you have younger children, because paths are things that you can run around and through. If you've got longer grass, children can lie in it. There might be wild flowers. They can pick things. They can pull the seed heads off. There's more interest at ground level for them to be able to, to use the possibly the lawn more than they did in the past. If you have garden play equipment, why do you need to mow the grass completely all around it? You could sit the play equipment in a section of unmown grass, for example. Ask questions why. Why do I cut the grass once a week? Why must I have a stripy lawn? What would be the worst thing that could happen if I didn't mow the lawn? How would I use the garden differently if I have long grass with paths mowed through it? I admit that when I first started doing this, I found it quite difficult to like the unmown grass because it was just grass and it's gone a bit hummocky. Um, as grass does tend to do, it grows in, in hummocks and tufts. There were, there were more anthills in that undisturbed part of the lawn. So for some people, that is a problem. But it's also a bonus because in those unmown parts of my garden now, I have so many more wild birds or birds that are flying down because there are insects in the long grass. So my lawn, which was once an empty space, is much more full with insect life and wildlife and bird life. I have more bats flying over the lawn at night time. I have more butterflies. I have moths. The smaller birds come onto the lawn. The bigger birds, I've got some magpies and they strut around. It's quite funny. They actually walk along the paths. I mean, they're really lazy. They don't walk across the long grass. They use the paths that I've mown and just pick the insects from the edges of the unmown grass. But it's more interest. If I don't have children that are that young to, to want that space, or that my lawn isn't really big enough to have 
little people running around space in, in that in that sense. I think it's now the time that you can begin to question, why am I having a lawn in the traditional perfect manicured sense of the word? I know it's hard to lose the lawnmower, but all you're doing is losing a an ascribed habit, something that you've been programmed to believe is correct for the last 30, 40 years. And maybe now you can begin to challenge that perception. How, you know, do I need to have my grass mown once a week? Now, if I go back about my lawn, when the children were playing on here, we used to have one of those lawn management companies that came round and they fed the lawn three or four times a year. They put weed killer on. And I was sometimes having to cut the grass once or twice a week in order to keep it mown for the kids to play on. And then I decided I was going to stop doing that because partly cost. Um, and then all of a sudden the grass didn't grow quite so fast. I wasn't having to mow every, maybe once or twice a week. I was having to mow every 10 days. And now maybe it's every two weeks because the grass has become less thick and lush in the areas that I'm mowing. And I've actually got wildflower seeds and I've got other wild, what we call weeds in the lawn. There's moss in the grass, but it means I don't mow it quite so much. Now, my garden is not one that would have a high footfall so it, it does make a difference if you're constantly walking over the grass. You need it to replenish itself more quickly because it's getting worn away. But if you don't have high footfall on your lawn, why does it need to be perfectly perfect grass without anything else in there? And maybe we can relax a little about lawns. In the last few years, there's been a, a rise in the use of fake grass. And I've had customers who have fake grass, for example. Is there a place for fake grass in a garden? And is there, should we be using it? Because there's fake grass and fake grass. There's cheap fake grass and there's some really good, well-made artificial grass that people can have. But is there a place? What are the upsides and what are the downsides? If you're going to have fake grass lawn, the first thing I would say is don't. You will walk across your garden in the same route, regardless of what's there. And unlike real grass, fake grass doesn't regrow. So if you are running and using and walking across the lawn, the fake grass will get flattened and it will get worn and you will begin to see a pathway naturally appearing because you're walking across the lawn in the similar manner every single day. So by all means, have some fake grass if you think it will improve your garden, but not as the lawn, because that pathway will be there, whether it won't grow back, the grass won't grow, it's fake. So you will just see it more and more. There are two other big downsides with fake grass that I've heard now over the last couple of years since I've been having discussions with clients. The first one arose last summer, when we actually started to hit some of the higher temperatures that they're now beginning to predict that we will have with heat waves. And people have said to me that they couldn't use their garden because of the heat that was emanating from the plastic turf. So the whole garden became a heat sump. Consequently, not just that, 
they had to be very careful about their dogs. It was burning their dog's feet. So for those two reasons alone, do not have fake grass as your main lawn area. There is a place for it. You might prefer to have fake grass somewhere, maybe out the front that you don't have to mow, that just sits there and is a piece of greenery and you like it, that's fine. If you have a weed-free, manicured, perfectly mown, stripy lawn without anything else in it but lawn grass, it's the equivalent of walking across the Sahara for a small beetle or other wildlife. It's dead as far as they're concerned. So if you want to have change to your garden and actually reduce some of your maintenance time, you can consider allowing the lawn to become less cultivated. Now, it may be that you just allow part of it to become less cultivated. You just mow a small area that you might sit on or that you might use. There are meadow planting schemes. You can add seed bombs, you know, these clay balls that you can lob into your grass so they drop to the, the surface of the soil and then the seeds will get down and you can get some wildflowers growing. It will take time for the natural diversity to build up because if you've had used fertilizer on the grass, the grass is really lush and thick growing to start with. It takes time for that to work its way through the system. So the grass grows less quickly, allowing other tiny flowers and wildflowers the space and time to get growing. So that will take two or three years to sort of leach out that fertilized element, but then you begin to get this sort of biodiversity. A lawn, I think, in terms of any small garden, now has to be rethought. It is not a space that makes your garden feel bigger, as I've explained in other podcasts and also you know, in terms of design. So all we're doing is changing an advertiser's construct of what a lawn should be. Think of it more now as a natural open space that you can choose how you want to cultivate. Society doesn't need it to be level, flat and mown to one and a half inches anymore. And that frees you up with lots of time to be inventive and introduce maybe wildflowers or create paths through the garden. Allow the grass to grow around the play equipment. Allow the grass to grow underneath the trampoline. Allow moss to grow in the grass. It, does it really matter? This little podcast, it, it, it's designed to get you thinking. It's not telling you what's right for you and what's wrong for you. I just want you to evaluate and at the start of this sort of growing season before the summer, maybe challenge yourself. Think, okay, what could I do to this lawn that would be different? And let's see what happens and whether that makes any benefits to the garden and maybe brings benefits to me and my family that I hadn't thought of because I'm not cutting the grass. It's a challenge. It's a thought process. Let me know how you get on. Do email me, rachel at plantplots.com and let me know what happens. In the meantime, have a lovely week and I will speak to you soon. Bye for now. Well, thank you for listening. You have been listening to Rachel McCartane of The Plotting Shed. 
If you've got any questions about this podcast, please email me, rachel at plantplots.com, or you visit the website with loads of different information on garden design and gardening advice, along with planting plans that you can download. You can look at the designs that we've created. So do take a look and please do hit the subscribe now button so you don't miss another episode. You can also donate if you go onto the website plantplots.com. There's a little button there saying you can buy me a coffee. So all donations will be hugely appreciated. Thank you very much. Enjoy your week. Enjoy your garden. Take care and stay well.